Hello and welcome into episode 35 of the Sports Are Funny podcast with George Arjur. Today we talk about episodes one and two of The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, the documentary that's taken over the sports world right now as we're all quarantined and we have nothing to watch. So thank you to ESPN and thank you to Michael Jordan for giving us something to entertain us during this time with not that much entertainment. It's a blessing for sure. Uh, we also talked about the best franchise in every NBA, every major sport, and the worst franchise in every major sport. I've been streaming, starting to stream this live on Twitter, uh, Periscope, uh, at Gijarjur, so check that out. I'll retweet it on to the Sports Are Funny feed as well. Um, please, as always, spread the word about the podcast. Rate it five stars. I'm going to try to read all the best uh, reviews uh from now on so if you send a good review i will definitely read that on the show before we get started here's a quick word for one of our sponsors yay documentary and um, it did not disappoint by any means. And there's a lot of things that we need to unpack here, and it was just one of those. Um, it was one of those documentaries. It did fantastic ratings. Something we're going to probably remember during the time of a quarantine where everyone's at home. So the rating numbers were much bigger than they would have been maybe otherwise. As you all know, it was supposed to be happening during the NBA Finals, but instead it happened during a quarantine time where everyone's home, everyone's watching, everyone's paying attention, and Michael Jordan's back in the news as you know the man. He's the guy that, look, 22 years later, Michael Jordan's still making headlines. Michael Jordan is still the most popular athlete maybe in America, or at least the highest approval rating, right? When we say he is the most popular athlete, doesn't necessarily mean um, he is the most popular athlete today. What I mean by that is he is right now easily the guy who has the highest approval rating. And I think a lot of young people, including myself, who I got to watch Michael Jordan while I was growing up, always realized how cool he was. But since I was like 9, 10, 11 years old when he was in his prime, I guess I didn't really realize the amount of coolness that he really reflected on a game-to-game, day-to-day basis. And you hear all these stories. You hear about Jerry Krause. You hear about all these guys that um, might have contributed to – the demise of the Chicago Bulls, but you didn't really realize how much of a role he actually played. So that was some of the things that we got out of the documentary. But I guess I have a couple key points here that I wanted to highlight from episodes one and two, which I thought was were really fantastic, really fun to watch, and uh, just some fun things. One, I didn't realize how – I mean, I knew Michael Jordan was good in college, right? We all know Michael Jordan was always good at basketball. He went to North Carolina. There was, he was no chump in college. And, you know, the whole thing about him not making the uh, varsity team as a sophomore. A lot of people don't make the varsity team as a sophomore. So it's not like he was a bad basketball player. But I didn't realize just how good he was as a – as an athlete, uh, there was that one clip in North during his time in North Carolina where he hit his head on the backboard. This is stuff we see Zion Williamson do. He was the National Player of the Year. 
you have to be the best player in America in college usually to get the national player of the year. So for those who thought Michael Jordan was some kind of lame who got picked third in the draft, like don't get it twisted. The guy was always really good. That was one of the things I took away, how good he was in college. Um, the whole Jerry Krause, Phil Jackson, Tim Floyd situation was just weird. I mean, the guy was literally grooming the next head coach when they had the greatest head coach in the NBA on the team. That would be absolutely crazy today. Imagine, I mean, I can't even think. Imagine Greg Popovich, who's won, what, five, six, five championships with the Spurs? If the owner of the Spurs during this time was like, hey, you got one more run after winning two in a row. And this time, we are not going to let you resign even if you go 82-0. and 0. It just goes to show, I mean, how delusional, how childish, and how crazy Jerry Krause was as a person, as a general manager. The guy just sucked. And that really showed up in the documentary. We could, I mean, I couldn't, like Michael Jordan said... He was going to come out, and a lot of people were going to find him to be really mean or unlikable in this documentary. That could have been true, but Jerry Krause came off so bad and so literally disgusting as a general manager. He just seemed so petty that I think that people right away realized, oh, man, Michael Jordan is – maybe Michael Jordan was petty and mean to this guy because this guy sucked. I mean, Jordan – uh, you know, beginning of a documentary, made fun of him, told him of those diet pills. And I mean, Jordan was ruthless. We all know that. But the guy kind of seemed like he deserved it. So in a way, Mike, Jerry Krause turned out to be – he's the biggest loser in this documentary. The guy came out completely unlikable. Uh, a couple other things. The cocaine story was fantastic. Uh, Michael Jordan obviously, I guess, doesn't like cocaine much, huh? Not much of a cocaine guy. I like, you know, he says, if you missed the documentary, go watch it. I'm not going to give you all the tidbits. But I like how he said, they're asking him, um, do you think that when you walked into the room, he's like, oh, I didn't smoke or do lines or drink alcohol yet. Like, we all know Jordan now enjoys himself a beer or two or a drink or two or three or four. So I thought that was pretty funny how he right away reacted to it and was like, oh, yeah, you know, back then I didn't drink and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, uh, he found half the team doing cocaine in a hotel room in Peoria, Arizona, out of all places, right? I mean, he's like, oh, I was in Peoria and it was crazy. Peoria's lit, bro. I mean, I feel like Peoria is where people go for spring training. So unless it's spring training, I don't see too many lit times in Peoria, Arizona, which I thought was hilarious. Speaking of which, you need to get your energy drinks on a Monday afternoon. So we're drinking Rain Energy today. Not a sponsor of a show, but uh, you can you know DM me at Gjerjur, and uh, I'll spon- and easily you can get a sponsorship here on the show. Um, so that was one of the takeaways from the show. We had a French player, a couple of things in France that I thought were remarkable. Um, well, first of all, I want to, before we get to France, shout out to ESPN for calling Barack Obama, former Chicago resident, Barack Obama. Um, I thought it was right. He did not need to go by former president Barack Obama, only for one reason and one reason only. We all know that Barack Obama was the president of the United States. I mean, that's stating the obvious, right? If ESPN came out and was like, this is former president Barack Obama, yeah, we all know that. 
when you put the former Chicago resident, Barack Obama, on there, you know what that says? That tells people the reason that we have Barack Obama on this documentary is because he was a former resident of Chicago at the time where Michael Jordan was playing. But of course, Twitter had a field day and was like, oh, they're disrespecting Barack Obama. Like, no, they're not disrespecting Barack Obama. Relax. Relax. What they were saying was the reason Barack Obama's on this documentary today is because Barack Obama was a Chicago resident during the time of Michael Jordan, plain and simple. So now that we get that out of the way, I got two more points on the last dance documentary I want to get to before I get to uh, some fun stuff here on the show. All right. Before we get to Scottie Pippen, which I want to break down immensely here, because Scottie Pippen kind of came out as one of the big uh, storylines here. Michael Jordan in Paris was epic, right? I, there are three different, four different segments here I want to break down about Michael Jordan in Paris. So Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls head to Paris where they – are doing like this international tournament, McDonald's tournament. They play against international teams, French teams, whatever, right? I mean, it's not a – you knew they were going to win the tournament. They are going to win the championship. So Jordan, first of all, shows up in Paris wearing – I don't even know how – what do you want to call those? You know, those like French painter hats and stuff and going to see the Eiffel Tower. And he had his hoop earrings on. He was the only guy who could pull that off in the world, man. He looked so damn cool. He's wearing those earrings. He's wearing those uh, the, the Paris hat, like the French painter hat, and just walking around the Champs-Élysées. I can never pronounce it correctly. Just looking like a damn G. <laughs> and then two other, three other parts I thought were remarkable in Paris. The second remarkable part was they were getting him ready for that uh, French, uh, looked like talk show or whatever. And the French guy goes and asks for his autograph. And Michael Jordan just like looks at him and security quickly. Like, nah, man, leave the guy alone. After the game in France, one of the players they were playing with just comes up to Jordan, like, can I get your can I get your armband? Can I give it your armband? And Jordan's just like he knows at this point, like man, everyone wants to take something from me. Takes it off, gives it to him in the coolest way possible. So they go into the locker room and they're like they're getting they're getting the trophy for winning this French preseason tournament or whatever it might be, and I love that Michael Jordan. This is like why they say episodes three, four, five, six, and seven, eight, nine. They, they say second episode and first episode are the slowest ones because it's build up. This is all the behind the scenes stuff comes afterwards, like in episode three. But we got a little glimpse of it in episode two in the locker room. Looks at uh, Phil Jackson's like, you keep it. You keep the trophy. Just don't let Jerry get it. Talk about Jerry Krause. Just goes to show the pettiness. No one liked Jerry Krause on that team. I, I feel pretty bad for the guy, but not completely awful because the guy seemed like a dick. Don't know how else to say it. Uh, so those are the four things I took about the Paris trip. Uh, of course, Scottie Pippen stole a lot of the episode two when I say steal, I don't mean like he took it away from it, but he just like stole the show, right? We got to learn a lot about Scottie Pippen. Um, people in Chicago, where I'm not from, but one of our talented writers on our website, visit sonsports.com, broke it down perfectly. Scottie Pippen was known a lot around Chicago as no tip and Pippen, as in he doesn't tip much, right? Because he's cheap. Um, 
now it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, at the time, um, I mean, he, you go through his sad story. So Scotty had a dad who was paralyzed. He had a brother who was paralyzed. So he was supporting a lot of the family at the time. So he signs a long-term deal, seven years, $18 million. And I know $18 million is a lot of money for a lot of people, but he was 120th highest paid player in the NBA. And I, I know uh, Phil Jackson said it was all crazy. The second best player in the NBA was 118th highest paid player in the NBA. I'm not going to agree with that because I don't think Scotty was the you know seventh. Scotty's a top five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten player. He wasn't a number two player in the league overall at that time. He was really good, but however, I mean, he was great. He's the number, the best number two basketball player as a sidekick maybe of all time. So that's not to, no disrespect to Scotty. Um, but as much as people are like, oh, the Bulls management sucks and the Bulls management this and the Bulls management that, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I thought what was remarkable here was why did we not get more people talking about how, how, how am I going to explain this? Why did we not get more people talking about like what, how bad of a part his agent played on this right his agent was the one who negotiated his this deal his agent was the reason that he got such a shitty deal it wasn't because of any other reason right so i did a little bit of research last night like who is scotty pippen's agent and scotty pippen's agent uh i'm gonna pull it up right now his last name was sexton i wanted to say richie sexton today i, I was thinking about the seattle mariners but i know it's not richie sexton who's by the way, underrated uh, home run hitter, but a uh, horrible contract for the Seattle Mariners back in the day. Man, Richie Sexton. I, I felt like Richie Sexton, by the way, always hit home runs when the bases were loaded. He always made that big, like, all big hit, and then he'd strike out five times. Uh, maybe enough about Richie Sexton. Jimmy Sexton was his agent. Jimmy Sexton was Scottie Pippen's agent at the time, and he negotiated a really fucking bad deal. Seven years, $18 million. So let's just think about that for a second. You're Scottie Pippen. You're one of the better players in the NBA. Your agent comes to you and he tells you, you're going to take a seven-year deal worth $18 million. It's pretty bad. It's a bad deal for Scottie Pippen. But he takes it. So you think this agent would probably not be a very good agent, right? Wrong. So looking up Jimmy Sexton. Jimmy Sexton's not much of a basketball agent anymore. But he's still an agent in other things. Jimmy Sexton right now is one of the best agents in college football and football. And now you're like, wait a minute, college football? Yes, coaches. Jimmy Sexton has 11 of the 14 college football SEC coaches, including Nick Saban. He is a quarterback maven with Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones. And he has Derrick Henry and Julio Jones as his clients. Those are all really high-paid players. Derrick Henry is about to get paid this offseason. Daniel Jones rookie deal, Sam Darnold rookie deal, but they both should get huge paydays. And Julio Jones, I think, is still the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. So Jimmy Sexton ain't no joke. So how did he get Scottie Pippen to take such a bad deal? Scottie Pippen, this one's on you, bro. I know you you got a $100 million contract later. Your wife, Larsa Pippen, who happens to be half Syrian, half Lebanese, did not know that till today. Um, so shout out to us. I'm, I'm full Syrian. Shout out to her. 
she tweeted, oh, you know, he's not doing too bad. He had made $130 million in his career. She's about to take half of it in their divorce case because she slept the future. I don't know how that works. She cheats on him and then she gets 50% of the money. Sounds like a good deal for her. Anyway, the, the point here is that's on you, man, Scotty. Scotty even said, Jerry Ryan, Jerry Reinsdorf even says, I told Scotty not to take the deal, but Scotty took the deal. So everyone who feels bad for Scotty Pippen, he was warned not to take the deal. He took a seven-year deal instead of a two-year deal and bet on himself or a three-year deal. And he said he wanted the maximum security. He wanted the maximum amount of years to protect himself. That's on Scottie Pippen. That's not on the Chicago Bulls. I'll tell you that right now. I got I I, I gotta say that's on Scotty, man. Sorry. It's on you, bro. It's on you, Scotty. All right. <laughs> So that's why I took away. The first two episodes were fantastic. I enjoyed them immensely. Um, being a kid who grew up in the 1990s, I always said my two favorite athletes of all time are Michael Jordan and Ken Griffey Jr. And then I guess Sean Kemp and Gary Payton up there. But I'm a 90s kid from Seattle. Uh, it seemed like every single kid in Seattle growing up was either an MJ fan or hated him because he beat the Sonics in 96. I was a Sonics fan, but I was an MJ fan. So when we lost that championship in 96, at the tender age of nine, when I also learned that I'm not going to win too many championships in my life as far as the sports fans go, I have to say I've always been a Michael Jordan guy, and uh, this this documentary is just fantastic. He's the coolest guy ever. I mean, the coolness, you're seeing the coolness right out of the gate here. That was that's what makes us great. You're seeing the coolness right out of the gate. He's the coolest guy there is. Um, if you haven't seen the first two episodes, go watch them. They're fantastic. All right. So last, we're gonna do a quick segment here um, because of the Chicago Bulls and what and all that. I decided. You know, they were a good franchise. They're obviously not the best franchise in NBA history because outside of Jordan years, they've been really, really bad. So I decided to rank here the best franchise and the worst franchise in every professional major sport. I didn't do hot. I'm just talking about the three, big three here in the United States, the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL. So there's no hockey here. I didn't do English Premier League. Um, you know, I'm a big Premier League fan, but I don't know the history of a Premier League enough to come out and say this is the best franchise, this is the worst franchise in Premier League history or anything like that. So forget all that. What I did here was very simple. Just NBA, MLB, NFL broke down best, worst franchise. Some were pretty easy. Um, I'm going to leave the M- I'm going to leave baseball to last. Um, give you a little Seattle Mariners segment at the end here. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, we'll start with the NFL. So here we go. These are the worst franchise and best franchise in every professional sport. Best franchise in the NFL. I had to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, you can make a case for the New England Patriots being the best franchise in NFL, in the, in NFL history with six Super Bowls. But the Steelers also have six, six Super Bowls. And since 1969... Sorry, I'm looking at my notes over here in my stats. Since 1969, the Steelers have only had three, that's right, three head coaches. 
pretty remarkable to only have three head coaches since 1969. Um, that is something I don't think we'll ever see again because just wow. Chuck, Chuck Noll, Cower, and Mike Tomlin. Three head coaches since 1969. Unbelievable. Uh, they've had six Super Bowls, so they get the best franchise in uh, NFL history. The worst franchise in NFL history, I'm sorry, I got to do it to you, the Cleveland Brown. They, they're, they're so crappy. Let's just go from 1999 since it came back into the NFL. Well, even before that. Their last playoff win was in 1994. 1994 was 26 years ago. Wow, that's bad. The last playoff appearance, 2002. That's 18 years ago. Also, not very good. And they've had 30 starting quarterbacks, 30 of them, since 2000, or since 1999 when he took Tim Couch first overall. The Cleveland Browns are an atrocious franchise. To the NBA. Now, I had a problem with the best franchise in NBA history because there's only two, there's really two choices here, and that's the Lakers and the Celtics. I went with the Lakers, just barely. Look, the Lakers, seven, 16 NBA championships, the Celtics, 17 NBA championships. But a lot of those when there's like eight teams in the league, so a lot of the Lakers have won a lot more championships in recent memory. So that's one reason. They also have more playoff appearances. And you know what, man? LA means something, right? Like if you're a free agent, are you more likely to sign in LA or Boston? So that was kind of the Trump card right there. Boom. The Lakers get the best franchise in NBA history. The worst franchise in NBA history is pretty easy. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. That, this franchise is the definition of shit. Look, you could say the Bobcats franchise, but they haven't been around a lot. Bobcats now Hornets, but they haven't been around long enough. So I have them as the second worst franchise in NBA history because of longevity. There's just not enough time to make them the worst. The Grizzlies are up there in the running as well, but at least they've run somewhat with uh, competence. The Timberwolves have been around since 1989. That's 31 years. Right? 31 years, 1989. Yeah, 31 years. They made the playoffs nine times. This isn't a league that half the teams make the playoffs every year, more than half. They're 17 and 30 in those playoff games for 13 games below 500. They've only won two playoff series in their history. And that was in the same year when they went to the Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers with Kevin Garnett. They have one division title, and they have one time they've ever finished in the out. So they finished fourth place and once first place. Outside of that first place finish, the year they went to the Western Conference Final, fourth place is their best finish. This is the worst franchise, maybe in all pro sports, is the Minnesota Timberwolves. The MLB now, the best. Is easy. It's the New York Yankees. You, there's like no other argument. You can't really like you can't really make one. Unfortunately for other teams, the Yankees are the best franchise in all pro sports. 27 World Series titles, 40 World Series appearances, 23 retired numbers. 
they're just the best. The pinstripes, they're the be- biggest brand maybe in all pro sports in the world. Them or the Dallas Cowboys or Manchester United, I guess, or Real Madrid. But at least in North American sports, the Yankees hat is probably the most worn sports hat or sports apparel thing in the whole entire universe. The Yankees are easily the best team and best franchise in MLB history. And now for the worst. All right, we're going to write this down, folks. My favorite franchise in maybe all pro sports are also the worst franchise in all pro sports. <sighs> I've got to take a deep breath here. The Seattle Mariners are the worst franchise in all pro sports. Where do we start? They were established in 1977. They didn't make the playoffs till 1995. Since they made the playoffs in 1995, They've only made the playoffs three other times for four fucking appearances in their whole entire history. The Mariners can't make the playoffs to save their damn lives. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001 where they had the best record in history of baseball and couldn't get out of their own way and lost to the Yankees in six games. We've had Hall of Famers like Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Edgar Martinez, Randy Johnson. And we can't win. We are the worst franchise in history of pro sports. The Seattle Mariners are the only team never to even make a World Series. They are the epitome of losers. It sucks. Let's not forget Ichiro. We had Ichiro, the best, maybe, you know, he's the best Japanese player, but one of the best hitters of all time as far as base hits. Griffey, A-Rod, Randy Johnson, Felix Hernandez, we can't get out of our own way. We are the worst. We, Like the Mariners franchise is the epitome of awful, and that's what we have with them. It's the worst. I think they're the worst franchise out of all pro sports. Since 2001, we haven't made the playoffs. The longest drought in all of pro sports. Sad. I don't know what we have to do to fix this. Because I feel like we sometimes even make the right decisions, but it just doesn't work out. <sighs> At least right now we have no baseball, so I'm out of my misery for a little bit. But yeah, the Mariners are the worst franchise in all, all, all sports. Easy for me. So let's just recap that real quick. Best in the NFL, the Steelers. The worst, the Browns. The best in the NBA, the Lakers. The worst, the uh, Timberwolves. And in baseball, the best is the New York Yankees, and the worst is the Seattle Mariners. Those, those are my those are my franchise worsts. And man, it's it's just disappointing to be a Seattle Mariner fan. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, this has been the um, Sports Are Funny podcast with myself, George Jorjour. Please, if you get a chance, go um, rate this five stars on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Let's spread the word. Um, we're going to try to get on a better schedule here um, now that we got all this technology working exactly how we want. We put this on the website. Thing We, we got a good schedule coming up. So we're going to try to do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday um, and release those episodes sometime on Wednesday, sometime on Wednesday, sometimes Friday. I'm going to try to get a little bit of consistent schedule of what time I'll come on live for you guys to listen as well. I think that would be uh, beneficial for you guys to know so you can tune in. Lastly, um, just make sure to spread the word. I'll be back Wednesday talking a little bit about the NFL draft that's coming up on Thursday and Friday. I'll be back talking that. We'll be getting some uh, guests in. If you know any guests that would like to come on the podcast, reach out to me at Gjerjour. Follow me on Instagram at Gjerjour, uh, Twitter Gjerjour everywhere. And most importantly, 
do me a favor here. Go subscribe to our other podcast, me and my brother, the That Being Said podcast. As always, all this is brought to you by SonSports.com. That's S-O-N-T Sports.com. It's sports media redefined. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, George, what does S-O-N-T stand for? And I tell them, it stands for Sports on Tap, and this is Sports Radio Redefined. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Oh, thank you.